a snowman. That was a supreme being. You mean good? Well, we don't know him that well. We only work for him. Shut up! Alright folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 172, and we're kicking off 2016 with Time Bandits. This great and fantastic film stars David Rappaport, David Warner, Sean Connery, John Cleese, Ian Holm, and Shelley Duvall. I am your host, Steve Michaels, joining, and joining me is my good and dear friend, Mark. Tell me about digital watches, Slover. <laughs> Funny you asked about that, Steve. You know, the thing I noticed about you and Evil is that both of you have similarities. If you created the world, you wouldn't mess around with butterflies and daffodils. No, no. You would have started with bourbon and vodka. Eight o'clock, day one. You got it. Absolutely. And also joining us is our other good and dear friend, Ken. I have the map. Roni. <laughs> I'm going to suffer through this podcast. It's something to do with free will. <laughs> and oh boy i could see where his review is going yeah. all right uh last certainly not least our other good dear friend jeff world average muncie uh he's um i don't know if he's showing up or not but uh we gave him um it, it's like school we gave him his uh 10 minutes and uh so he's not here so he may show up he may not so uh but anyway we're going to be talking about time bandits and uh, this is, oh, good Lord, I had it up, and now I've lost it. 1981. Um, 1981. 1981, that's a that's back in the day. So uh, uh, the IMDB summary of this one is a, a young boy accidentally joins a band of dwarves. I'm not sure that's the appropriate PC term um, in 2016, but we're going to go with it. As they jump from era to era looking for treasure to steal. Um, that's a pretty succinct summary. Uh, pretty much sums it up. And I don't know. I I've enjoyed this movie. I really always liked it. it it's fun. It's uh, if you notice a lot of the names that I mentioned, it's it's definitely got a Monty Python esque feel to it in a way, but not complete Monty Python. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't remember seeing this until maybe like the '90s when it came on cable one time. Uh, I'd never even heard of it back in when I was in high school and that. I mean, in fact, I wasn't even in high school when this came out yet. So, um, guys, what do you think? Opening thoughts, uh, Ken? I saw it uh, when it opened in the theater. I went there with my brother. I can remember going. Uh, he did not like it. Uh, okay. But uh, he was also much younger, too, and I think a lot of it just went over his head at that time. It is heavy on uh, the Monty Python because it was written and directed by Terry Gilliam. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean... Monty Python people are at the core of this. Uh, I was actually surprised in my research. George Harrison was like one of the money men and, you know, producers and everything else in this movie. So it's got a Beatles connection as well. He wrote the uh, ending uh, song. Uh, it is supposed to be part of a trilogy uh, about, uh, you know, people dealing with the absurdities of life. Uh, and this is supposed to be uh, the... World is seen through the eyes of a child. Uh, the, the next in the series was Brazil, which was, you know, the world is seen through a, you know, young man and 
than Baron Munchausen, which was the world that seemed through the eyes of an old man. Uh, being a part of a series like that, I've got to say, I think Brazil's the strongest one of the bunch, but that's me. I uh, wasn't that impressed with Munchausen, and this one, I'm, I think you can tell I'm a little ambivalent, I think would be the word to say about this. Okay. Mark? Yeah, I saw this in the theater. Huge Monty Python fan. You know, it has all the signature. Terry Gilliam, who um, produced, directed, I think wrote um, a big chunk of this with Michael Palin. Um, and, and you mentioned it earlier, Ken, the other two movies that are definitive uh, Terry Gilliam movies that are uh, very stylized, almost artistic, have very impressive production qualities, absurd humor, with the Monty Python overtones and a, and a message, um, but it's not it's not beat you over the head message. Uh, I, I remember this. I enjoyed the vignettes where you had the guests such as Sean Connery and John Cleese more than the the middle piece, the pieces that stitched it together. Um, <clears throat> but that's saying it's an obscure Monty Python esque movie uh, that's got some really good moments and it's fun to watch this band of little people interact with one another. Uh, they, they really, as actors, these gentlemen really get an opportunity to shine, and they do a great job. Uh, and then the historical vignettes, if you love history, the, the Monty Python trademark skewering history in people is, uh, is prevalent. And then I, I just got to say that the man who steals this movie is David Warner as evil. He, he, we, we have featured him before in Cross of Iron. He was, he was the captain who was with, uh, with, uh, Colonel, um, oh, the commanding officer. I just forgot his name. James Mason. Thank James. James Mason. <laughs> David, great classic character actor. Um, who, who anytime he's a, on the screen, you just, you get to watch him choose scenery. So it's it, it's not a great movie, but it is a fun, obscure, offbeat movie that would never get made today except on uh, streaming, on a streaming channel. You'd never see this made. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to find. It doesn't stream. Um, you've got to either buy the uh, DVD or Blu-ray because um, uh, that's about the only place you can get it. I've got the uh, uh, the Blu-ray, uh, so I had to get the the DVD so I could do the uh, sound clips and. Um, but yeah, I, I, I am not, unlike Mark, I am not a huge Mighty Python fan. I mean, I do enjoy them, uh, some more than others. And this definitely has that feel to it in a way. Mainly because you see a lot of the characters. Um, obviously, you know, John Cleese, Michael Palin's in this. And, um, <clears throat> but the thing that I liked about it is I, I just thought it was a fun little jaunt, you know, like through history, if you will. And like you said, Mark, you know, the vignettes, the different ones that are in there are just, are just priceless. And I agree with you that, uh, David Warner definitely stole the show. I'd have to say that, uh, uh, obviously the main, uh, time bandit, David Rappaport, he, he definitely was in the close second. Uh, that guy definitely was, um, having a lot of fun with his role. You could really tell, I think. But, um, you know, it's, it doesn't get that much play. It's just one that I've always liked. I've always enjoyed it. It's one that you can just kind of throw in when you're like painting minis or doing something and just have it there. It's, it's just fun. And I, and I just like the premise that there's this map, you know, that, that was, that was made during the creation of the universe and they can just kind of go anywhere they want in history 
And, and I just like the fact that these guys are, I don't know, they're supposedly, I don't think they're quite at the angel level, but they're, <laughs> they're kind of the, I don't know. I think they, they, they do bushes and shrubs. Yeah, they do bushes and yeah. shrubs. I mean, they're basically like janitor level up in heaven. And, yeah. uh, you know, they decide to take the map and go, you know, from era to era stealing things, which, which is a hoot. I mean, it, it was hysterical to watch some of the places that they went to and you see, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, I mean, you see some, you know, uh, pretty big name actors. In fact, I thought it was actually interesting. I, in, I don't know if it was on yours, but I noticed Sean Connery got like top billing. In oh, this. Yeah. And he, he's in it for like what? 10 minutes, if that. <laughs> I mean, which well, I, he had the more, you know, <laughs> the star power. He had more star power than anybody else in this movie. Well, but that's interesting that you bring that up, Ken, because, you know, we, I'm trying to remember there was, or maybe it was one of the, uh, one of the things that I was reading at the time, you know, he was really struggling during this period. Um, it's not that he wasn't working, but he wasn't making, uh, top movies. I mean, really at, up until this point, I mean, he was really known for, um, you know, the, obviously the Bond series, you know, and well, he, he'd been busy like a couple of years before that he did, uh, the man who would be King, uh, he was busy through the seventies, but right, he a little later on he became the the very top A list guy. But nonetheless, he was still of all the people in this movie. I mean, not to put any of them down, they you know this movie is chock full of you know very qualified actors and actresses, but he was the biggest name of them all. Yeah, and then you had um, uh, you you saw well you know that's interesting though. Um, well, I guess he would have been the biggest one of them all, but then again, you got, you know, Cleese and Palin. Um, obviously I think they were, at least from a British standpoint, probably had a little bit bigger name or draw maybe because of them. Um, and then you also saw Ian Holm, who was, um, who played Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> he was priceless. Wasn't he great? I mean, that scene, because they go back in time and, uh, you know, to what the Battle of Castiglione. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but that scene where he's he's having a good time watching the puppet show and the stray bullet kills the puppet guy. <laughs> and, oh. Yeah. I want to see little people hitting more little people. Yeah. <laughs> and then those three and then that group shows up. You know, because all of the all of the time bandits and then they end up they end up capturing not capture but uh, they end up landing in um, uh, Kevin's room, uh, trying to escape the supreme being, and then you know he just kind of tags along for the ride, you know, and is obviously the smartest of the of the bunch, <laughs> you know, yeah. which is which is funny, but um, you know it was it, it was those kind of scenes which I thought were were a lot of fun is. You know, like that scene in, you know, like Battle of Castiglione. That was actually a really nice set that they put together, you know, with the battle and, oh, yeah. you know, that, that was great. Those great uniforms and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was great stuff. And, uh, and you found out why Napoleon kept his arm <laughs> wasted as it were. I love that bit. I know that was not to give awesome. anybody thing away. Oh, that was awesome. And, and really, that's the whole, the, this whole movie is just, as we've said, it's vignettes stitched together. It, it, it's the opportunity to time travel through history and, and tweak history throughout. I mean, y- you get to make fun of Napoleon, which the British, any chance they can, they will thoroughly torch Napoleon's, um, 
reputation. Right. And then they turn right around, and then you have um, Robin Hood, the labor minister socialist. <laughs> yes. I mean, now, now there's that particular scene is priceless. I mean, John Cleese was in his element because oh. I, I love the fact that because it's it, and it, it's the ridiculousness of it because you know when they get picked up, you know, they, you got all these guys that look like they stepped out of you know Central Casting thirteen thirty. I mean, it's these guys are like <laughs> yes. grimy and everything, yep. you know. And then uh, here comes Robin Hood. He's and he is just wearing this preposterous like Robin Hood hat. That thing's like, yeah. I mean, that bill's <laughs> like about five feet long and yeah, he's the green tights. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is perfect. It's it, because it contrasts everything, but that's that, like you said, that's that Monty Python, you know, that type of humor, you know, and I just thought he was great, you know, and he's, you know, jolly good. <laughs> I got, I got some of those clips, so they're priceless. That's the, and it's classic, please. They're having two separate conversations. He's talking to the dwarves and, and they're not hearing him and he's not hearing them. He, he's just talking past them, and he doesn't care. Right, right. <laughs> and that, that's the thing about this movie. Every one of these vignettes is a little different in the sense of the type of humor. He, with Napoleon, they're basically, it's just they're going to rip him off. With, with Robin Hood, they get ripped off. Then I, one of my favorite is really the whole Sean Connery back to Greece as King Agamemnon. I think it's a real neat little piece about it's a father son bit in the movie, and you don't see that one coming, right? Because it's actually the most serious part of the movie. Uh huh. I mean, it's just a yeah. And you know what, Mark? That's really a good point. I never, I never really picked that up because he really. I mean, he's got because you see in the very beginning, he's got a mom and a dad that really just don't pay attention to him. I mean, they're just they're in their own they're in their own little world, and he's just. You know, and this kid's just brimming with curiosity and, and all this stuff. And they're just like, Hey, it's past your bedtime. Get out of here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's that, that type of thing. But I never thought about that. That's, that's a really good point. And you know, Agamemnon's got a wife who he doesn't love and he doesn't have, he doesn't have a son. And it's an, it's just a neat touch. I, I like, I like that part of the movie. And you get to see Sean Connery reappear. At the end of the movie, too. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've got to say that I was a bit disappointed, or put off, or annoyed by one aspect of that part of the movie, which is ancient Greece was not an arid, rocky desert. Yeah. I mean, they they went to Morocco and filmed it in Morocco into some godforsaken wasteland, and. I don't know. I, for whatever reason, I, I, I was just watching. Like, couldn't they like find some place that looked like Greece and film it? I mean, someplace with a bush or an olive tree or something. Just bug me. But that I'm is, easily bugged. But that aside, I mean, the uniforms weren't period for Napoleon and the Italian campaign. I I could say that bugged me. Well, yeah. But but again, I go back to what I said earlier. I just like these different vignettes because they they touched on different parts of. As you mentioned, Ken, about what Gilliam's whole point was about being a boy, being a kid. I mean, there's yeah. this boy's own adventure with all of this too, um, and he's just going from one adventure to another in a different, a different aspect of an adventure um, with these with these little people who the shrubs and trees that they were in charge of creating had more morality. Yeah, 
but I like what you said too about you know this being you know a boy's own adventure because that's really what it was. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. and and that's what I enjoyed about it. I just I mean, thought it was. Long. I mean, he the, the boy is the the constant, the, the level-headed one in the whole bunch. I mean, he's the one that's watching it all happen. All these other guys are. I don't know. The, the gang of dwarves is just uh, chaotic. Would that be a fair word to say? Chaotic yeah. neutral. <laughs> yeah, they're they're just a little disorganized. Yeah, a little self-absorbed. Yeah. Well, the whole thing is that they're you know they're they're following um uh oh gosh uh, Randall you know who just is you know he's he's so blinded by his greed you know to get more stuff and you know the rest of them are you know literally dumber than a box of rocks so um and uh oh and just so you know one of the um uh one of the time bandits is uh uh Kenny Baker uh who yep. we all know for his uh, R2D2 yep and rap before committed suicide yeah that guy had a pretty um he had a pretty bad life, which is yeah. which is kind of sad because he definitely was a talented actor. Uh, I mean, yeah. he really, uh, I mean, he really brought a lot of, um, you know, a lot of life to that character on the screen. Which I and I read about his, um, you know, his suicide man. That guy had a lot of issues, and he's really young. He's thirty eight years old, and, and I don't know. And maybe it was because of maybe some of the type of roles they get. And I mean, I and I do have to feel for. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, people with that, with that condition, you know, the dwarfism, because you do end up get, I mean, obviously you get typecasted and, right. and it's unfortunate. Uh, but, uh, like I said, he did, um, he did bring a lot of, uh, life to that character. And he, and, and like I said, second to David Warner, he was really the, uh, the, the, the scenery chewer, uh, in that movie. But, um, well, and because of his death and Jack Purvis, who was, um, the the time bandit who wore the pirate's cap, yeah. who uh, he he was a he had an automobile accident, was a quadriplegic, and that's why Gilliam was gonna make a sequel. And when he lost those two guys, he he couldn't do it. Yeah, I can and, understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, the movie did pretty decent. Oh, you know, yeah. In the box office, I mean, it did it did well. So, I mean, it it definitely you know was probably begging for a sequel. You know, and again, I think it's one of those things where, like I said, it, it, it jumps back to that Mighty Python thing. Cause I do like how in a lot of the different eras that they go through, you always saw, um, <clears throat> uh, Shelley Duvall and, and Michael Palin's <laughs> character. And, you know, it is funny cause you never like that scene when they're, um, you know, remember when they're in the carriage, when they're in the medieval times and, you know, you know, she's like, you know, is, is, do you still have to use that? No, I don't have to use that anymore. <laughs> the issue. Yeah, the issue. You don't really know what, yeah, you don't know what the issue is, but you, you suspect it's not, it's, it's something not good. But, and you know, just the, just the dialogue between those two, uh, cause you see him, I think twice. Yeah. In there, you see him there and then you see him again on the Titanic, which, um, you know, which is another priceless scene. Uh, so, I mean, it's, oh, and then, you know, the other one too, which is really fun was the, um, the, uh, on the boat with the ogre. Oh. Winston and Mrs. Ogre. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And that's where Gilliam really gets that when you get to that part of the film, that's when you arrive at where Terry Gilliam really kind of goes into his world of Brazil and Baron Munchausen, that back third of the movie. Uh, that's where he kind of gets his um, 
I don't want to say weird, but um, real funky sense. Of, goes off into a fantasy world. Yeah. He, yes, he goes off into that. I mean, it's, we were talking about history. There also has some weird fantasy with ogres and yeah. ship hats and giants and things. Yeah, yeah. Which I go. It's a stretch. Well, and I, I didn't think I didn't think it fit the movie. That yeah. that whole setup. I mean, the scene itself it was entertaining. It was cute and all, but it was the whole thing. It, it just didn't fit to me. I I don't know why he put it in. Well, I think because it was that whole, um, you know, part where you know evil wanted to get the map, and he you know, and he was making them think that you know, like there's all these great treasures in in this one place called the Time of Legends. And that's, you know, and that's where they went out of history, normal history, and went into, like, the time of legends, which I'm just assuming is this mythical-type era, which is where you ended up with the ogre and, you know, the big giant with the, you know, coming out of the water and that type of stuff. I think that's that's where, yeah, you're right, It's it, it doesn't fit, but I think that's where, um, I don't think it was supposed to, because it was supposed to be a different part of... Well, you know, what, you know, it was, it was, again, it was like what they call the time of legends. So I think that's why it didn't look like it fit because it really didn't. It's because even Kevin was saying there's no such thing as this. Right. Yeah. And he had to get you and, and the other, and, and the reason it was there, you know, as you say, it doesn't fit. It is awkward after a fashion. He had to get them hooked up with evil and evil's trapped in the time of legends. So. Right. Right. He, you had to have that duex machina occur. And so he, he does, he does get them there. But, it, you know, nonetheless, it, it, it's entertaining. It's well, entertaining. Right. And you, and you do have to love that. You know, every time they would show, uh, we didn't talk that much about David Warner, but I mean, he's, you know, he's obviously the devil. They call him evil, but, you know, he is the devil. And I mean, you talk about a guy that you could tell he's having a good time with that role and that get up they had him in. Uh, <laughs> Oh my God. Oh geez, that was hysterical. It was kind of like, it was kind of like before Peter Jackson, before you saw Sauron. Yeah. <laughs> this was like the, well, well, we'll try this to see if this, this is what Sauron would look like. Eh, not so much. It's like Sauron light. You just didn't quite get there. Right. Well, and the other thing that makes David Warner great is all of his sidekicks. You know. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a dumber. Boxes of rocks yeah. are. Miles ahead of them. Yeah. What, like Benson and Robert? I mean, they have these, they have these very staid, dull names and, and that they're all dressed in like, they've got Viz Queen sheets around them. And <laughs> yeah, what was that? Strange horns coming out of their heads. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they're, 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 they're the genetic, um, they're the gene- they're the gene pool of minions that didn't get stirred, shall we say? Right. Um, but they're fun. I mean, the great thing is the actors who play those guys play off of off of uh, David Warner really well. They have fun together. Right. What was your feeling on? What did you think of the actor who played Kevin? It, well, you know, I tell you, as kid actors go, I thought he was fine. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know. He's even. I don't think he's done anything since um his name's david warnock he's done well he's done two things uh and that's it he did he did a tv movie and then he did time bandit so he's obviously not a um um 
you know, big time actor or anything like that. I mean, he just did those two movies as a kid. So I thought he was fine. I think it's, you know, we've talked about this before with kids in movies and, you know, and some of them, um, particularly, you know, as you could tell this, I mean, this was his first movie. So, I mean, the first thing he ever did was this. So, you know, I, I think for like, you know, his first time out, it was fine. Uh, but you know, we've, we've had these discussions before, you know, when we talk, when you throw a kid in there, unless it's a, it's a kid that's been doing some acting, they, I don't know. They just, they seem to have a tough time, but I mean, I thought he was fine in this. I mean, particularly now I know it's his first movie. I guess he was, he was really good. And I'll tell you what, this was, you know, a, a, a pretty funny part that I, I don't know if you guys actually noticed it because I don't think it was in the script. I think it was actually, it just happened, but there's a scene uh, when they're on the Titanic. And he's like sitting on the, on the edge on the rail and, um, and Randall's talked to him. Randall's got that cigar. You know what I'm talking about, Mark. Randall kind of leans over and I mean, he sticks that cigar right in his hair. And it's, I don't think he, I I don't think he did it as part of the script. I think it was on accident because all of a sudden you can kind of see Randall's like, Oh shit. (laughs) He's got to brush his hair real fast. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. But that kid didn't miss a beat. He, you know, he just kept going along with it. Yeah, no, I didn't have any complaint with him. I, I thought he was fine for what he, he was required to do. It's just, right. I always like to, I'm always curious what everybody's take is, especially when we have child actors in the, um. Yeah, I, I have to mirror Steve. I mean, I knew, you know, I did my research and saw this was his, you know, first movie and I'm sure they had to work to get him to, you know, pull it off, but he seemed like about as good as anybody else you would get that age into that kind of a role. But this also throws back to a thing, you know, as I said at the beginning, I'm kind of ambivalent about this movie. But you guys have probably heard me. The fact I'm on record numerous times as saying that, in general, movies with cute British schoolboys annoy the piss out of me. (laughs) Uh, With the exception of Empire of the Sun. But that's a World War II movie. I that, like it. Tough. That that movie annoys the piss out of me. Well, that's fine, but jet in general, I just you know for whatever keep keep British schoolboys and schoolgirls for whatever reason. Just I just that's not a genre I'm in. Now this is not a stereotypical movie that fits that. It's a whole different bag. But I think that was a little thing in the back of my mind that was sort of bugging me. Right. Uh, but no, I mean I I will not say anything negative about the young know, well young man. I mean he's probably as old as I am now, but. I think forty-five or fifty now. He was born yeah. in he was born in nineteen seventy, so he's uh, he's three years younger than I am. Okay, so a whippersnapper. Yep, mere mere child. So, yeah, and um, you know another. If we're gonna be talking about some of the actors, you know, one that I wanted to bring up too was because, uh, like I said, she's in it very briefly. In fact, I think other than Mrs. Ogre, she's the only female role, and that's Shelley Duvall. And you know she. The only other thing that uh, we ever um, uh, reviewed her in was The Shining, you know, way back in the day, yeah. Mark. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, she, uh, to be honest with you, the last thing, if you look at her, um, oh, gosh, IMDb, I don't think she's really done anything. Last thing she did was 2002. So um, I'm not sure if, uh, I- I'm guessing maybe she's retired. So, uh you know, but I've always enjoyed her. I mean, she's just a, you know, she's kind of quirky looking. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, there's, there's something about her. And I, I just thought she was a ball in this movie. 
I always thought she was, you know, this, if this is a word, she's sort of bird-like. She's just very yeah. fragile looking. Yes. Yes. Well, I think cause she's really tall. I mean, I get the impression she's, she's got some height on her and, um, you know, she's just got that really long neck. Yeah. She's five, eight. So, um, for a girl, she's, she's fairly tall, but, um, I mean, I've always enjoyed her in, in stuff that I've seen and I thought she really kind of, uh, did a great job in this just with her, <laughs> I mean, just the way she acted throughout this. Yeah. She had a real nice sense of comic timing and some physical timing, like with her eyes fluttering yeah. whenever uh-huh. Michael Palin was getting ready to, Ask a, ask, pop the question. She really played well off of him and had some really nice comic timing in that, in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh. It was fun to watch her. Right. Yeah. The, well, we, again, yeah, we did The Shining, which was a night, it came out the year before. And also in uh, the year before, she was Olive Oil in the Popeye movie. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Which actually, I, I'm a weird movie, kind of a mixed bag, but, you know, I watched it and kind of liked it. So. That's just me. Yeah, not one that's on my uh, list no. of movies to see. Not, not not on the top. It's not near the top. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, Ralph Richardson. Yes. Deadpan just oh. does a great deadpan supreme being. Oh yeah, of course. Just you know, pick this up. Yeah. Uh, very typical upper <laughs> upper lip, stiff upper lip Englishman. Just oh, <laughs> can't have this kind of a mess. Yes. But it, he plays it. He plays it great. He's like got what, maybe ten minutes on the screen, walks in, does his part, walks off. Yep, pretty much. Yeah, the only the only thing I've seen him in was um let's see. I saw him in rollerball. Oh yep. yeah. I remember seeing him in that. He was um he was the librarian, I believe. And uh and I saw him in Dragon Slayer. Probably one of the best dragon movies ever. Oh made. yes. Yes. He played which, the wizard. Yeah, he which played. Which we should do someday. That is a great movie. Really? I was kind of joking when I said the best dragon movie ever made, what? but I, mean, I liked it. I liked it a lot. No, I, I, I like it too. I just, I was joking when I'm, when I threw that out there, but. Well, there's, how many dragon killing <laughs> movies are there? Uh, yeah, actually none. Well, no. and what I thought was not to get off on that movie, but what for the time when they did it with Effects, what you had in the way of effects, that dragon was freaking impressive. Yeah, it was. I have to say that dragon was more impressive than Smog in those Bobbit movies that came out. That's every not time. hard. Yeah, well, but, yeah, yeah, I'm, well, there's a discussion for another day. <laughs> yeah. I'll say a movie that uh, I liked, an epic movie that I liked that he was in was Dr. Zhivago. Yes. He had a major okay. role in that, in that show. Okay. So no, a very accomplished man. But uh, like I was saying, you know, back when they did this and they were casting and deciding who's going to be top star and everything, although he's got a, I mean, his acting career and acting abilities probably are better than Sean Connery, but you know, he was more of a stage guy in Britain. He didn't have that international, you know, reputation. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's what we've kind of talked about before. A lot of these guys are, are most of them came off the stage. So, I mean, I think you see a lot of, uh, you know, a little bit better acting quality out of them than I think what we, um, you know, than what we put out here in the States, uh, by far. Yeah. I do think that when they were doing the, you know, this series of movies, I think the creative guys who were Monty Python guys, 
consciously were trying to make an effort to say, this is not a Monty Python movie. I don't think they were right. coming out and saying it, but in right. how they cast it, they filmed it, they presented it. It's like, no, this is something different. I mean, we're trying to be a little more serious and, you know, a little deeper and that kind of thing. Although it's still, like we keep saying, it's a Monty Python movie. But I think and, this one appealed more to American audiences than Monty Python does. Because, I mean, you talk to people, you know, in the States, they either like it or they hate it. Yeah. I you mean, mean this movie? No, I'm talking about Monty, Monty Python. Python. I mean, it's, there's, there's very few people that are, um, eh, I'm okay with it. You either like them or you don't. Yeah. And a lot of people uh, don't. And a lot of people don't because it's, again, it's that British humor. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't fly as well. I mean, there's, I'm trying to remember the one, See, now I love the Holy Grail. I just think that's hysterical. And Life of Brian, I think, is brilliant. Seeing to me, and that's the one that kind of, it's like, it, to me, like the parts are greater than the whole. But, you know, again, that's just me. Now, Life of Brian to me, I mean, not Life of Brian, I'm uh, back to your point. Yeah. Um, Holy Grail still is probably their best work. Right. But, you know, and I think that's just it. It's, you know, it, it, it that didn't appeal to a lot of people in the States, right? I think this movie did. I think this movie did have a much bigger following. I think it had a lot uh, better reception because it didn't go off on a lot of that really dry, um, or I shouldn't say it's dry. It's just very unique British humor, which I guess we call dry. So, um, so, and this one definitely had, didn't have that. Um, and I mean, you saw that just like I said, just David Warner's, you know, presentation, I think showed that, uh, because, I mean, every time that guy did something, it was hysterical. Yeah. Well, I think people went in going, oh, Sean Connery's in it, and they knew him from James Bond. Right. You, know, you, you, had, you had other people outside of the Monty Python crew. So. Well, well, you know, it's funny you bring that up, too, because when you think about it, like I said, you know, he was first building. I wonder at some point how many people are in the theater going, all right, when the hell is Bond right? <laughs> When's this dude supposed to show up? Because we've been waiting around for about an hour now. Yep. Well, that's happened in more than one movie where, you know, somebody gets top billing and it turns out they're just really a minor character. And that's really the surprising thing because he really was a minor character. Yeah. I mean, I'll yeah. just start thinking about it, but I know they're out there. So, uh, let's see. Where are we at here? Uh, but, uh, there really wasn't a soundtrack to this. No. Right. I mean, other than George Harrison did a song at the back end. Yeah. Which is not a bad little it's not a bad little tune. It, it's classic Harrison. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I'm, that was the one thing that would, you know, to me really kind of struck me is that it seemed like there really wasn't any, and maybe this nope. movie didn't call for any kind of soundtrack or background music. Cause I mean, it was a little bit, but it was just more mood music, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, they, they would, and all I really remember is when, the supreme being would approach you have this swell of orchestral music right. and off they'd go but i don't and a couple other little scenes like that but i didn't remember a soundtrack right i didn't i didn't think there was one either so and you uh, know one of the things i want to point out and i sure. think we touched on it is the production design and the costuming in this movie is just impressive because they're hopping all through these different, obviously, time periods, but the the not only the costumes, but the production design. Like someone said earlier, you know, when you get to Castiglione and and Napoleon, you've got this city on fire at night, 
you've got a lot of extras. Um, you had a guy and, jumping off a bridge on yeah, fire. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah, you caught that too. Um, you know, and then, then you've got a guy in the Robin Hood world punching every one of the poor people. Nothing wrong. Is that really necessary? Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> I'm afraid it is. That, now that, dude, you know who that guy reminded me of? Cause I, I'm like, I have to go look him up. I'm like, ah, that's not him, but he reminded me of, um, oh crap. He was in both uh, the both of the uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels oh, and Snatch. Yes. You know who I'm talking about? Yes, uh, Bullet Booth, Bullet Booth, Bullet Tooth Tony. Bullet, yeah. <laughs> what is that guy's yeah. name? Harry the Hatchet. Harry, Harry the Hatchet. Oh my God! I swear to God, I thought that was him. I thought it was him at first. It did look like him, didn't it? <laughs> but you know, wouldn't you guys agree? Costumes, production, uh, the production quality alone. If you've not seen this movie. And that's a hallmark of Terry Gilliam. If you've seen Brazil or Baron Munchausen, whether you like him or not, he has a he has an incredible eye for set design. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Mark, because that is really a good point. You know, you really <clears throat> don't notice that until you really pay attention. There is a lot of thought that went into um, you know costume design in this movie uh, and sets. I mean, just yep. Evil's Castle and everything. I thought was really kind of cool and. Um, and the other one too that I just thought, and I remember seeing it even when I was in, uh, I think it was like even in the nineties. You know, I was a little bit older and, it, and there was something about it that just creeped me out is when they got captured by evil and they put them in those cages that are just like suspended over some abyss. Yes. You know, that's like, ooh, there's something about that that just gave me the heebie jeebies. And, you know, I just, and, and it is, you're right. It, it was a great, um, you know, it was a great example of great costuming, great set design. Um, you know, aside from the fact that Greece looked like Morocco, that's, you know, <laughs> neither here nor there. But, um, well, I don't know. Is my knee, is that, uh. No, that's Greece. I know that's, that's Greece, Greece, but that's. That's Greece. I know. It's Greece. Yes. No, I've never been there, so I have no idea what it looks like. Oh, so. it's, it, that's, no, I've, not like I've been that. there. It doesn't look like a, yeah. you know, rocky wasteland without a tree to be seen. It's actually kind of a pleasant-looking country. There were background shots, Ken, later when you got to the city, where they were near a river. So I, yeah. I, I don't know. They didn't have to do all that, but they did. And it's no. I, well, I know they went there because it's a you know they could get a primitive, rough-looking society. They didn't have to build a big set. They could get that epic feel. I know why they did it. Yeah. But it's just like, you know. If they just didn't have those nice panning shots of the, you know, desolate wasteland, I mean, they could have spliced in a film of, you know, a real Greek mountain or something. Yeah. I mean, they pull it off in 300, they could pull it off here. Yep. There you go. So, anyway, all right, well, there, I've got a few items of trivia that I want to throw out there uh, before I move on. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm one of these, having one of those weeks here. Um uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Ruth Gordon was originally cast as Mrs. Ogre, but was injured before production. And Catherine, Catherine Hellman was originally slated to play the role in heavy makeup to look like her husband, then decided it would be funnier if she just looked like an ordinary person. So I liked Catherine Hellman. Yep. She was a, uh, very active actress in movies and sitcoms all through the seventies and eighties and nineties. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, she was also she was in Brazil. She had a major part in Brazil. So, yeah. And was wasn't she in Soap? Yes, that was her big role. 
Yep. Yeah, Soap probably got her on the big radar screen. I mean, she'd been doing stuff before that. But then after that, I mean, she was on a variety of TV shows. And, again, she popped up in movies all the time. Yep. She has a unique look about her. Yeah. I, I wish she found success. I mean, she found success. She wasn't, you know, a youngster. I mean, she, I mean, I haven't done research on her. As far as I know, she might have been doing all sorts of stuff back in the 30s and 40s. But she was like, you know, about 45, 55 when she really hit it big. Now, I, was, I'm, I pulled her up. She really didn't start getting steady work until 1970, early 70s. Okay. And she was born, she's 86 years old. She's still alive. She was born in 1929. Wow. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, while, while filming the sequence in Sherwood Forest, which the time bandits inadvertently crash into Vincent and Pansy's carriage, uh, Terry Gillum had scaffolding built for the actors to jump off. When directing the scene, Gillum instructed that they were to jump in such a way as to land around Palin and Duvall, but not land directly on them. To better illustrate what he meant, Gillum, or Gilliam climbed on top of the scaffolding and without hesitation jumped off only the plummet directly on top of Shelley Duvall. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Um, and guys, Mark, you had asked about, uh, what we thought of, um, uh, the guy that played Kevin. This is interesting. Uh, young Craig Warnock, who played Kevin, won the role after a wide search for the right child actor. And the agent had seen Warnock's brother and sent him into an audition. Uh, uh, Craig went with him merely as a coincidence. And Terry Gilliam, however, took more interest in Craig than his sibling, noting that the young man seemed rather intelligent, yet aloof and quiet, as opposed to the stereotypical cute little boy. So, there you go. Good call. That's how he got it. Oh, gosh. What else we got here? Uh, it says, when evil genius has captured the time bandits in the cage, he walks up the stairs. It's not David Warner, but a double, because David Warner suffers from vertigo. Really? Yeah. And, uh, Mark, you'll like this one. The evil genius's apparatus on his head was influenced by H.R. Geiger's work on Alien. That, yes. That, yeah. Now yep. I see it. Yep. Uh, which also starred Ian Holm. Uh, coincidentally, one of Evil Genius's lines is, and the day after tomorrow, two decades later, Ian Holm would star in the day after tomorrow. God, Ian Holm was 49 years old then. Was he really? Yeah, he played, 49-year-old Ian Holm plays 26-year-old Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> He's a youthful 49. Yeah, he was. Uh, let's see. In the film, Napoleon's height was mentioned to have been five one by one of his generals, although some sources claim he was uh, five six. Ian Holm is five six in real life. Obviously, not world average. World average. Right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, let's see. Gilda Radner was considered for the role of Mrs. Ogre. Eh. That would have. I could. That. Yeah. That would have. That would have been all right. She could have done it. Yeah. Not my first choice. But. Yeah. I think I think Catherine Henwell's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, most of the cast are Monty Python fans and wanted to work with uh, Terry Gillum. So, uh, according to Michael Palin, Dennis O'Brien suggested Art Carney, Burt Reynolds, or Peter Sellers for the role of Supreme Being. So, like I said, I call bullshit on some of this. Burt Reynolds, Art no. Carney, what? No, Peter well, Sellers it could be trying to just tap into the American market better. Oh. Burt Reynolds was at the top of his game and a big box office draw back then, but he doesn't have. He would be Burt Reynolds. I mean, that's just it. He would, right. and that would not fit. No, 
Now, Peter Sellers, yeah, I could have seen Peter Sellers doing that, you know, kind of pulling it off. But I, I don't know. I, I think, um, uh, I think the guy that they had for it, um, Ralph Richardson, he was fine. He was perfect for the role. Oh yeah. You know, because like you said, he he really pulled off that you know the the stiff upper crusty type Brit. So I think he did it well. All right. Well, there you go. That's trivia. So let us move on to uh, one of our favorite parts of the show, and that's brother, what you drinking? Mark, what do you got? Anything special? Anything good? Uh, uh, it's a school night. Um, Paige made some very nice, a um, nice dinner. So I popped open a uh, Argentinian red and Malbec, and I was just enjoying a couple glasses of that because I'm oh. back back to school, back to work tomorrow after the holiday break. So I was having a very nice red. Um, I've become, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've begun really last year or so enjoying the South American wines, and they, they well, crank out some good reds. Oh, yeah, definitely. In, in days past... When I would mention the various wines I was drinking, you guys would hit me with a line of like hoity toity pinky in the air bullshit. Okay, let's let's clarify. I was not one of those guys. Okay. I always backed you up there, Ken, because I'm a wine drinker myself. Thank you. But no, Mark is correct. There's a lot of good wine out there coming from all around. It's just improving. Yep. I mean, and it's all reasonable. I mean you yeah. can get a good wine and not break the bank. Yes. Yeah, I mean, unless you've got a really, and I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a connoisseur by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, unless you've got a really seasoned palate, you know, it's, it's hard to tell the difference between a twelve dollar, twelve dollar bottle of wine, and honestly, all, I haven't even drank yet, and I'm, I still can't speak. You know, it's hard to tell the difference between a twelve dollar bottle of wine and, you know, say a fifty dollar bottle of wine. Yeah, if you you're know, not. If you, like you said, if you're not trained for it, or yeah, really, yeah, if you're not, not a collector, right? If you're not drinking them regularly, now I can definitely tell you the difference between you know a five ninety nine one and a twelve dollar yeah. one because, but it's you know once you start getting, and, and that's the thing too is you really have to watch it when you go to the restaurants and stuff like that because, man, talk about a ripoff! I I refuse, Mm-mm. I refuse to buy wine at a restaurant. A bottle of wine. I'll get a glass or something, but I will not buy a bottle because uh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, you're looking at about a 500% markup on the price. Yep. And then yeah. if they hit you with the corkage fee too. Oh, it's ridiculous. I love that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, a hundred dollar, I mean, you could spend a hundred bucks for a bottle of wine and some, you know, like at a Ruth Chris or something like that. I can go to Kroger and get that same bottle for probably 20 bucks. I, shit you not. Yep. Well, well, what you need it's, to do is you need to encourage your date to, uh, Use the wine rack to supply you with the beverages during the the meal. Sneak it in. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> that'll last. <laughs> yeah. Well, sir, it's been a joy serving you. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, guys, I'm I'm just kind of kicking back with. Um, I just poured a uh, just because again, as Mark said, it's a school night, so I've just got a I poured a. Uh, uh, just a shot glass of, well, it's a little bit more than a shot glass of uh, some bullets um, mm. that my brother-in-law got me for for Christmas. Uh, the bourbon or the rye? Uh, just regular bourbon. Yeah. Okay. So he it's got me solid. A yeah, it's like solid. I think it's like ten year. It came in a box. He said it came in a box, so it's got to be good. That was. I his took bourbon. I took bullet to our family uh, Christmas luncheon party, so and it went went over well. Yeah. I mean, it's good bourbon. I mean, it's yeah, solid. It's a, I mean, it's a solid, good taste in bourbon. It yeah. Drinks well. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm having that, and that's it. Because I'm I'm on a uh, I'm on a health kick kick this year. I gotta not getting any younger. I gotta try to get the body back in shape. Uh, good luck with that. I am. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, and last and certainly not least, it's now time for catching up with Ken. All right, Ken, give us a highlight. Yeah, it is going to be the highlights because, you know, it's been about three weeks since we did this. And my holiday season was like something going on about every other night on average. So there's, I, I've been doing nothing but eat and party and drink and such for a long time. And to mirror you, I mean, I need to do something. And actually, I've got a little list of like things I'm, not a resolution, but I was putting together uh, some habits I'm going to try to acculturate myself to do just to start getting into a little bit of shape. But, no, uh, a few highlights uh, from the holiday entertainment season. I did go uh, back on the 22nd. Um, my friend Julia had a gourmet Russian homemade dinner. She's from Russia. Her mom was helping her, and her mom's Laura, and made this gourmet feast with all sorts of really good Russian food, which also features tons of caviar and pate and borscht and other such stuff. Very good. I mean, I had never had borscht. I, From hearing what it was made out of, I thought it was, you know, kind of foul-tasting, but this stuff was delicious, and the, uh, the caviar was great. So uh, Russian dinner was exciting. Copious um, amounts of vodka. Well, that was it. I, you know, being a good guest, you know, if I go to somebody's dinner party, I usually take a bottle of wine. But when I was invited to the Russian dinner party, what do you think I took? A bottle of of Stoli. Yeah. And she was not, she and her mom were knocking down shots before the night was out. I I had had enough by that time, though. A few other things. Uh, Had a, uh, had, Mark and George, we yep. all met up at the Tap downtown. Uh, very nice new, you know, sports bar sort of place. What do you think of that, Mark? I did. You, it's hard to have a conversation there. Great selection of their own beer. Yes. Very good selection of beer. Good food. Um, but yeah, it was uh, very noisy. I know it was yeah. packed. It was I mean, this packed. was on a Monday night, and it was just packed. I mean, all you know, until like what eleven o'clock or something. If you'd like it, if you want to go try somebody's beer, but it's not a place you could sit and just have a conversation. We, I, I, I we almost lost our voices by the end. Yeah, of the yeah. I and I refuse to go to places like that. It's loud, loud bars to me is yeah. about as much fun as a broken stick. Well, I was telling, uh, you know, uh, George and Mark. I mean, I've been there before, but I've been there in nice weather. And we'd sit outside on their patio. It's a whole different thing outside yeah. of the patio. Yeah. Uh, another thing on, uh, last Tuesday had the guys all over, you know, a bunch, a bunch of us got together at my place. Steve couldn't make it, but a bunch of other guys did. We went and had a bunch of beer and pizza at the local restaurants and, uh, Giacomo's to be specific. And then hung out here and played some board games. And it was a very fun time to have everybody together. Uh, and then as we zeroed in on the New Year's weekend, I went to the uh, Roos Chris Northside New Year's party. 
And Roos Chris, north side, for those of you that don't live in Indianapolis, it's not my normal habitat. Uh, it's a different crowd. I mean, it's a different crowd I don't usually hang out with a lot. I mean, I know people that hang out there a lot. Uh, I get along fine with them, but it's not my, again, not my normal place. Uh, next night, or, or two nights ago, last night, I went up there again, a guy I know, you know, more of an acquaintance, but he invited me up to, he froze his own birthday party. It was just a great big, you know, he, he got them to give him, them the upstairs party room, which is a great big first class facility with, you know, full bar and everything else. And, uh, hung out there with a bunch of friends, saw a bunch of people I knew and met a few people I didn't know and just had a good time. So I've been busy, you know, and I had a lot of other stuff, Christmas dinners and family events and, you know, getting together here and there with friends, but you know, that's enough. Uh, you want the highlights? That's the highlights. Cool. Anything special happen with you for the holidays, Steve, other than getting a bad case of the twitching awfuls? Nope. Not, not much. I mean, just the, just the usual stuff. But, um, you know, it's, I, well, you got a Leilu bottle hit. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I got a Leilu bottle. <laughs> Actually, it's not a bobblehead. I don't know what the hell those things are called. Um, Let's see what the heck. I don't know. My daughter got them. In fact, they're like collectibles. You can get. A, there's a bunch of them at Gen Con. Oh yeah, I've I've yeah. seen it. Like they had the whole Game of Thrones. Yeah, and, you know, but they're not Bobble anime and everything else. Yeah, I've got a Jane and a Daryl on my uh, on my desk too. Ah, uh, <laughs> Jane from Firefly, Firefly, Firefly and Daryl from Walking Dead. Yep. Does Jane have a cunning hat on? He does. You know, man walks down the street wearing a hat like that. <laughs> that's right. All right, Steve. So what's next? <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. That's uh, that's it with uh, brother. What you drinking? So it is time for clips. Clips, our favorite part of the show. All right. Uh, let's see. This is number one. Do you want to be leader of this gang? No, we agreed no leader. Right. So shut up and do as I say. Sounds like this podcast. I, I was about to say that. Yep. All right, let's see, number two. No, no, there are freaks. Not one of them on the five foot six. What kind of theater are you running, huh? I'm, I'm sorry, sir. But, no, no, the more of the funny show, the, the little puppets hitting each other. That's what I like, little things hitting each other. <laughs> That's Ian Holmes, yeah. Napoleon. Priceless, priceless yeah. stuff. All right, let's see, number three. Morning, you're, you're all robbers. Uh, the you best, know, Mr. Hood. Jolly good. You're a, you're a robber, are you? Jolly good. Uh, uh, and do you enjoy robbing men? Well, it helps pay the rent, sir. Ha, 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 Jolly good. Ha, ha, ha. And you're a robber, too, are you? How long have you been a robber? Four foot one. Good Lord. Jolly good. Four foot one. Yes. Well, that, 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 that is, is, is a long time, isn't it? <laughs> I just love that. The, the laugh is priceless. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, may, maybe a reason that this movie didn't light my fire when I first watch it is because back when I first saw this movie, I think I would have been classed into what Robin Hood referred to as the poor. No. <laughs> wonderful people. I was a wonderful, wonderful person. People. It just I didn't have two pennies to my name. And and Steve would have had to slug you after you got a. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> got your reward. 
Oh, is that really necessary? Yes, yes it is. Yes, it is. Uh, all right, here, n- next one. The you, me, and the poor are going to be, well, not just absolutely thrilled, but also considerably less poor. Uh, aren't they, Red Gray? All right, I yield time, Drummond. Yes, uh, what, what did you say? He said, yeah, what well, is Christmas coming up and all? Ah, jolly good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's awesome. <laughs> All right, uh, next. Look how he spends his time. 43 species of parrots. Nipples for men. Slugs. Slugs! He created slugs. They can't hear, they can't speak, they can't operate machinery. I mean, are we not in the hands of a lunatic? <laughs> uh, Alright, and one of the classic lines. If I were creating a world, I wouldn't mess about with butterflies and daffodils. I would have started with lasers. Eight o'clock, day one. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Torch is one of his minions. Yep. It should be frickin' lasers. Yeah, frickin' lasers. All right, uh, let's see next. Suddenly I feel... Very, very good. I'm sorry, boss. It'll pass. It'll pass. <laughs> David Warner is the best line. He does. I mean, he just, I mean, I, I forgot about how many other good ones there were. So, uh, let's see. This is, uh, this is the last one. This is where we get to hear about the Supreme Being. Well, they should do something very extrovert and vengeful with you. Honestly, I'm too tired. I think I'll just transfer you to the undergrowth department. There's bracken, small shrubs, that sort of thing. With a 19% cut in salary backdated to the beginning of time. Thank you, sir. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, I am the nice one. <laughs> I just love that someone. Well, I am the nice one. <laughs> I've got to use that line when I get. Yeah, and... use that with your team at work. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, there you go, folks. There are the clips. Uh, uh, like I said, one of our favorite parts of the show. So I hope you enjoyed those. And uh, let's see, this, um, well, Ken, I, I'm thinking we did a movie from 1981, haven't we, just recently? Oh, did we have a- I, I, let me walk through. Yeah, let's see if we have a top ten for this one. Uh, well, before I do the top ten, I thought for this year I would do the Golden Raspberry Awards as a palate cleanser. Oh. Uh, okay. Worst picture of 1981. Wait, tell it? everybody what the Golden Raspberries are. The Golden Raspberries is a group of critics and such who vote on what the worst. Basically, it's the anti-Oscar award. It's what's the worst actor, worst movie, so on and so forth. And so, the worst picture of 1981 was Mommy Dearest. No more wire hangers. <laughs> wire hangers. Uh, the worst director was Michael Cimino for Heaven's Gate. All right, I'm gonna step in right there. That's, I know what you're gonna say. If you see the full length version, it's a pretty good movie. Yes, but Heaven's Gate for those listeners that don't know, it was this epic drama, uh, western. Uh, western, and. You know, it actually, when it failed, it brought down the studio United Artists. Uh, it was such a, a unexpected collapse. But it was a case where Michael Cimino had put together this you know, beautiful movie, but then the suit said, oh, it's too long, got to chop this out, shorten it up. And by the time he chopped it up and stuck it out there, it was this incomprehensible mess. 
and it failed and failed hard. But of course, you know, they had the, the you know, back you know, then, nobody saw the extended version. The extended version didn't come out to what, maybe 10 years ago? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, worst actor was Clinton Spilsbury for Legend of the Lone Ranger. Oh. He was so bad they had to get someone to come in and dub all of his lines over the over the film. Oh my God! Wow. Uh, worst actress. Now I gotta argue with this. Worst actress: Bo Derek for Tarzan the Ape Man. I thought Tar- I thought Bo Derek did a wonderful job of falling into rivers wearing flimsy, lacy outfits and then crawling out drenched with all the you know. Cloth sticking to her frame. I I have to side with Ken. I don't think that person I, knows what they're talking about. Yeah, she was I, fantastic. I'm not. We weren't watching her for acting skills, so I don't know what this buffoon was talking about. Exactly. Yeah, you want you watch Tarzan the Ape Man to see Bo Derek naked and semi naked. You know, going in, what this is going to be about if Bo Derek is in the. Movie. That's right, especially in 1981. Right. Uh, and then finally, the worst supporting actor was Steve Forrest for Bonnie Dearest. Underwear supporting actress was Diana Scarwood for Mommy Dearest. So Mommy Dearest pretty much swept the Golden Raspberries. But getting away from big failures of 1981, uh, to hit you with the top 10. At number 10 was this movie, Time Bandits, at $42 million of domestic gross. Wow. Wow. It's one of the top 10 movies. Yeah, we're saying like it did well. It did quite well. Uh, Compared to the number one movie, maybe not so much. Yeah, I know where you're going with that. Uh, the number number nine was The Four Seasons. Uh, Robert Alda, Carol Burnett, romantic comedies, which will never, ever, ever be reviewed on the Man Cave Movie Review. <laughs> no. Uh, number eight. Uh, it is what it is. For yours, eyes only. James Bond. One of the better Roger Moore ones. I would say not a bad movie. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was it was okay. I think the the Bond girl in that one was some. I think Carolyn Bouquet or mm-hmm. something very attractive. Very. Woman. Yeah, not a bad movie. That one's yeah. that one's good because you didn't have the ridiculous enemy or anything. I mean, that was no. a classic Cold yeah. War Bond movie. I'm trying to think. What came at was was it after this that he came out with like Moonraker and all those? Yeah. 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 They got, you know, this was right before the Roger Moore ones veered off totally into just spoof. Yeah. This one, you only live twice. They, they, they were. That was Connery. Not, you only live twice. Um, how? Oh, live and Let Go- Die. Live yeah, and Let Die live and Mail Golden These kind, those kinds of movies did kind of try to stay true to before they became parody bond. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, for years I only was is, is good. It's you know, if you're a listener and you haven't seen that Bond movie, catch it. It's you know, I'm not going to say it's riveting and you know epic, but it is. I, I liked it. Yeah. Uh, number seven. I uh, don't think it's a man cave movie, but I thought it was a very good movie. Chariots of Fire. I've never seen it. Oh. It, it's it's not a bad. It's it's a good movie. It's not one of those you're going to really go say, hey, I want to watch it again. No. If you've seen it once, you've seen it. But it is an interesting movie. It's a good period piece. Yes. Uh, number six, a movie which I'm pretty sure you've all seen, 
and I it, it probably falls into the man cave movie genre. The Cannonball Run. Oh God. I'm not saying we need to do it because it's a pretty bad movie. It, but it, yes. it has a lot of things that you know. It's again, this is Burt Reynolds at his peak. It's a Burt Reynolds piece, but it's a massive ensemble cast of all sorts of wacky actors racing across the country. Yeah, it's a it, it's it's a version of it's a mad 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 world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is a great movie. Uh, number five, uh, I think this probably would qualify as a man cave movie because it is Stripes. We reviewed it. Yeah, we did. That's right. Classic comedy. Number four. Another comedy. Uh, I never really took to this actor or series, but your views may vary. Arthur. Dudley Moore. You know, I don't even remember it. I remember seeing it, but I don't remember it. I I remember went to see it, and I thought, okay, it, it's just a drunk Englishman. We've, yeah. After 10 minutes, it got old. I mean, I think Ralph Richardson was in that movie as the butler. Yes. And he was great. Yeah, it did like twice the box office of Time Bandit, so. Yeah. Uh, number three. Now we're getting up to the, the, the heavy hitters. Uh, number three was Superman 2. This is the one where you had to kneel before Zod. Meh. I agree. It's a yeah. meh movie. The best part of it was Zod. Zod was a very bad villain. Yeah. Uh, number two, a movie which, much like some others I mentioned, will never, ever, ever be a Man Cave movie review, on Golden Pond. Uh-huh. Oh, come on. You guys don't want to see Jane Fonda. Well, it's, it's got... It's got... Henry Fonda? Henry Fonda. Catherine Hepburn. Jane Fonda's just a supporting role. Oh. No, no. I remember I had I I I actually saw it, and, and no. I saw it way back on cable when yeah. I was a kid, but like that. No, no. I don't. It's just I just no. oh, so I need to see it again. No. And finally, number one at two hundred twelve no. million dollars of domestic gross, a movie that's having reverberations to this day. Raiders of the Lost Ark. We reviewed it. Yep. And a great movie. Yep. Absolutely. Re- rebooted that whole adventure adventure movie genre, much like Star Wars did for sci-fi. The only bad thing about Raiders of the Lost Ark is the success of that movie got the studio to greenlight the Richard Chamberlain's King uh, Solomon's Mines. Which is a great book, which if... If you would just make the book, it would be great. It would, but that was a horrible, horrible, horrible. Oh my god! But it was that like came out like a year or two after this, and I, right. I remember Raiders got me all excited, and I feel like I've read King Solomon's Mind. It'll be a great movie, and I went, oh my god! I mean, <laughs> the only thing it has, it's it's in Africa, and it's yeah. got a mine. Okay. Yeah. But uh, anyways, that's the top ten movies of 1981. Very good. Wow, nice. All right, uh, well, here you go. So it is now time for the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist of this great and fantastic film. Number one. 
Did anyone jump out of a window? Uh, they went through that. They went through the invisible the, barrier, but yeah, that's basically a giant window. Well, so a giant did, mirror. But they didn't go through it. They well, just threw uh, through, through they a did. skull. They they walked through it. And, but was it a window or a mirror or what? I don't know. I I can't really say. As much as I always reach on this one, I don't I don't know if that one counts. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll say no. All right. Uh, number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? No. I don't see it. I think it was fun to see Shelley Duvall as Pansy. Yeah, but her scenes weren't there. It flowed just fine. Yeah, but, I mean, it didn't make or break the movie yeah. either way. No, I, I agree. I, well, no, it, I doesn't, it doesn't fit the, the classic definition of a Liv Tyler moment because when she appears on screen, you're not going to say, okay, you can go off and you know take a leak for the next five minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, there's that. Oh, right. Okay, let's see number three. Son of a bitch must pay. Was there a son of a bitch in this movie, and did he pay? Well, David Warner was evil. Yeah, he paid yeah, in the end. Pretty much, he paid. He carbonized. His henchmen all paid. Uh, the, <laughs> poor henchmen. I, I agree. Doesn't pay to be a henchman. No. Nope. Especially an evil person's henchman. Well, that's it. You, you know, going back to just... You know, the, that, uh, invincible overlord website on the web. You know, you don't kill your henchmen. You give them good benefits in a 401k. You want them to be <laughs> right. supportive and you don't take out your personal whims on them. That doesn't lead to good success. Right. All right. Next. <laughs> Was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? I didn't hear one. Did you guys? I didn't, but they easily could have squeezed one in. It would have fit. There's plenty yeah. of opportunity. But I didn't hear one. No, I would say no. Okay. All right, let's see. Next. Could the female role be better played by Tony Katane? It would have been different, but I would have objected. Yeah, I, no. Nah. I think she was fine. Okay. I don't, I don't. Don't feel a need to replace her. No. All right. Very good. Uh, let's see. Next. Was there a montage in this movie? I would say maybe a really slight one. It was right at the end when they're gathering the opposition. Oh. For the evil overlord. But I don't even know if it really fits the definition of a montage. Right. Yeah, I'd say no. Nah. Yeah. All right, let's see. Last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Well, I think we know the answer to this one. Was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? Steve, go for it. All right. Uh, there was. And that was David Warner. And he was in, and I should have had this queued up, and I don't because I was counting on Mark to back me up. But Holy Grail. <laughs> he was in the search, the episode in Search of the Holy Grail. Holy Grail, yes. He played uh, uh, Gaius. Alduis Gaggi. Yeah, Alduis. Okay. And, uh, yeah, that was that was actually, that was the one with the Nakalene feeder. Yes. Was what? The Nakalene feeder, the one that made 
uh, Londo Malari crap his pants when he heard that it was on the station. Yeah. Wow. Yep. I remember that now. Yeah. It's a great, great episode. It's called so. Grail. The episode was called Grail. Grail. Yeah, you know, it's David Warner. He he does a great job. Yeah. But yeah, evil appeared on Babylon 5 yep. and not in the form of a shadow. Yeah, exactly. Oh, gosh. All right, there you go, folks. That's that's it with the Man Cave Movie Review checklist. Now it is time to uh, close this bad boy out with the Man Cave Movie Review. Let's see. Mark, Ken, which one do you guys want? Why don't Mark, you do it. Oh, Steve, why don't you do this one? You, you, re- you recommended it. Why don't All you right. throw this one out? Okay, I'll 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 step up to the plate. Uh, actually, and probably makes sense because I'm the one that's been wanting to do this one for a while. It's, it's a favorite of mine. Like Mark said, this is, you know, boy's own adventure. And this is just one of those movies that I've, I've always had a good time watching. Uh, I love the humor. I just like that whole idea of, you know, traipsing across time and going to different places. Um, and, you know, interacting with the people that are there, um, obviously not in the manner in which these guys did, but just that whole concept I just find to be, you know, really cool and really fascinating. And I, I thought all the acting was great. It's, um, you know, obviously this is, you know, a, a big Monty Python crew, uh, uh, most of them anyway, if not, uh, obviously Sean Connery, Ian Holm aren't part of that that crew but you know those guys still pulled out stellar performances this is just a really fun movie i know it's just it's kind of hard for me to put in the words it's just you know you see a movie and it just it just kind of sits with you you just have a good time with it you really enjoy it and and for me this is one of those and um great like mark said great set design great costumes you know and everybody in there is 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 believable in the characters that they're that they're putting forth uh, just had a lot of fun with it. So, I don't know, for me, I would say in this genre, and this is the fantasy genre, I, I'm going to give this one like a, I'm going to give it an 8. You know, this is definitely one of my favorites. I've got it on Blu-ray. don't have it on DVD, but I do have it on Blu-ray, and it is uh, definitely one that's always in, uh, been in the collection for a while. So, uh, I highly recommend it. It's it's a great movie. Uh, you're not going to get burned on it. Um, I mean, you may walk away feeling like, Ken, eh, not, not my cup of tea. Uh, and if you're turned off by Mining Python, it, it's not, it's not Mining Python like you would think it is. But, um, uh, you know, but it's got some of the elements, but it's, it's not completely there. This is actually a really fun little adventure. So anyway, eight is my review. If you guys got any closing thoughts, feel free. I'm sure Mark has some things to say. No, I, I'll go with you because I really like this movie. I'm biased. Um, but I'm a Python fan. Uh, I, I think it's just a, a neat, quirky little movie. Um, again, it, it, the, the parts are better than the whole in some respect because you're, you, you know, a lot of the actors and you want to get to those scenes. But if people haven't seen it and you like Monty Python or you like this style of humor, um, or you like time travel or history, it, it, it's a really, it, it's a fun little, it's a fun little romp. And I really have to give credit. We didn't talk much about them to the little people. Who play all the different roles? They they really choose scenery and have fun, and it's really an opportunity to see these actors shine and not be stuck in tin cans or lots of makeup or dressed as a Jawa, um, and they get their moment. Um, so I'll agree with Steve, but that's uh, as I said, I'm like Steve, I'm very biased towards this movie, and it's a fun little movie. Cool, thanks. All right, I gotta say that uh, 
I mean, what, what, you know, what you both said is fairly correct, but for whatever reason, even though this movie should have really grabbed me, because I like, you know, history movies, I like time travel movies, I like, you know, I like most of the Monty Python movies. Uh, for some reason, this one just didn't really light my fire. And so it's got something in common with the, uh, 63 Valiant that I used when I learned how to drive. It's a straight six. Okay. Okay. Very good. And, and, and I know right where Ken's coming from yep. too. I mean, it's yep. perfectly understandable. So, all right. Well, there you go, folks. That is it with the Man Cave Movie Review episode 172 in our first show of 2016. Uh, we are, this is officially, we're moving into year four of this show, believe it or not, guys. So go figure. Wow. So, um, anyway, we're going to be, uh, putting together a list of, um, uh, more Man Cave movies, uh, in the upcoming, uh, months. So I hope you enjoyed this one and we'll stick around, come back for more, share us with your friends, tell us all about it. So, all right, that's it for Man Cave Movie Review 172. Check us out our website at Man Cave Movie Review and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review and leave us a comment. Tell us if you like this show or didn't like it. Uh, you can um, look for us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. So until next time, I am your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend. Mark, tell me about digital watches. Slover. Good Lord, jolly good. Four foot one. Well, that, 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 that is a long time to do podcasting, isn't it? It is a long time. <laughs> jolly good. All right. And also saying farewell and adieu and auf is our really good and dear friend, Ken. I have the map. Roni. Well, now that this podcast is over, I feel, feel good. Very good. But it'll pass. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well played. All right, folks, that's it. We will catch you next time. Until then, ciao.